Good morning, Orchard. Good to see you this morning. Fun to be here. I know so many of you, but for those who don't know me, my name is Kathy Gregg, and I have the distinction of being the eldest elder. <laughs> At least that may be true in some cultures. In America, it's maybe not such a good thing, but it is what it is. And as Charlie said earlier, grandma's in the house. So you know what happens when grandma's in the house, right? The children listen. <laughs> or maybe not. But anyway, I'm glad you're here, and I appreciate the freedom in this house. Uh, this is my fourth time that I've been able to speak, and the last three times has been uh, talking about the book of Luke. It's been fantastic. We've been going through that for a couple years now at least. And... This time, we took a, a little break, and Charlie said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of you already are getting excited, and others are like, I wonder what this is going to be all about. And so I hope there's something for all of you this morning, because the Holy Spirit definitely has something for all of us. And... Um, I want to thank the worship team. What a great job they did just setting this all up. And as they were singing, Spirit, lead me uh, uh, through uh, without borders. I mean, to live our life without borders. What a beautiful thing. And it's easier to sing that than probably to even speak it. When we start realizing what we're asking for, uh, it can be a little scary, right? So... Anyway, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit. So, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> I'm counting on you to lead me this morning. If you don't show up, I don't have a thing to say. You're so good, and the truth is you always show up. So I look forward to this morning, and I pray for each person who is here. I pray that their heart would be tender, and they wouldn't come into this message with preconceived notions, but they'd be willing to learn more about you and to grow their relationship with you and to see what an advantage they have in knowing you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are good. Amen. Well, I'm loving this cooler weather. It's so beautiful. I don't know. There's a few people like over there. I know people who don't like the cooler weather so much, but to me it's so refreshing. But it also, I think, reminds in particular the parents, it's time to get ready for school, right? Some of you might have some milestones, kids starting first grade or high school, or how about college? Anybody in here sending someone off to college this year? That's a big deal. It's like you give your life 18 years and, and you drop off this kid at the college campus and you, you give them the pep talk, right? And you say to them, you're ready. But as you walk away, you're muttering. They're so woefully unready for this. And you just pray. Or how about the driver's license? That's a big one, right? Your son or daughter turns 16 and they can't wait to get their license. So you take them to get the test, but you're not a bit worried because you've seen them drive. They're not going to pass. <laughs> but then miraculously, a miracle for them, they pass and they want the keys. 
And you say to them, you're ready. But all along you're thinking, they're not ready for this and neither am I. While I was preparing this message, it occurred to me that Jesus asked that question to the Father. I'm sure he said, Jesus, it's time. It's time for me to return to you. And I'm putting the assignment of this kingdom in the fate of 12 men. Are they ready? It's a big question. If you've been hanging around the orchard a while, you know we've been looking at the book of Luke for a long time. And I think we've all grown in our understanding of who Jesus is. Early in his ministry, Jesus chose 12 disciples. It was an interesting choice, wasn't it? He chose uneducated, ordinary men, if not deeply flawed. Judas, a betrayer? What about Peter? How would you like to have been with him three and a half years? I'm sure it was a lot of fun, but probably pretty obnoxious. Pretty hard to be around sometimes and very impulsive. Or Thomas, have you ever been around someone who doubts everything you say? It's exhausting. But these are the men that Jesus chose. Jesus had a plan. And this was his plan. He would spend three plus, three and a half years with these 12, and they would watch everything that Jesus did. They would see miracles and wonders. They would see the way he lived and the way he prayed and the way he treated people. And at the end of three and a half years, hopefully these men would begin looking more and more like Jesus. And Jesus would return to the Father and leave the responsibility of the advancement of the kingdom to these 12. So, were they ready? Let's look at the night before the crucifixion. Surely, they have a full grasp of what's to happen and the weightiness of their assignment. Now, I know you've all read the book, and you know, but just like going to a really good movie the second time, just pretend like you don't know and just get into the story. Here it is, the night before. John 1, chapter 13, verse 1. You don't really have to look there. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures. You're welcome to, but you don't have to. I'll read it. This is what it says. The Passover feast is about to begin. Jesus was fully aware that he was about to leave this world and return to the Father. And he loved those who were his own in the world. He loved them to the last and the highest degree. Don't you love that? Being loved to the last and the highest degree. It's beautiful. He loved these men so much. You can just feel his tenderness toward them, can't you? It's their last night together. And Jesus wraps a towel around him and he takes a water basin and he fills it with water and he begins washing the feet of the 12. And I can just picture him kneeling down and intermingled with the water in the basement are his tears. And as he washes each one's feet. He's praying for them and he's saying, Father, make them ready. And then he gets to Judas and he watches his feet. What an amazing moment. 
But when he gets to Peter, there's a ruckus. Typical Peter style. You're not washing my feet. And then when Jesus explains, but I must, Peter's like, wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything. Always a lot of drama with Peter. And in the background, Jesus is thinking, are they ready? Well, one way to find out, tell them what's going to happen and check out their response, right? So Jesus begins to tell them, I'm going, guys. I'm going to the Father. Peter, where are you going? Why can't I follow? Thomas, you're going? How do we follow you? How do we get there? Philip, show me the Father. I'll be satisfied then. If you just show me the Father, that will be enough. Ouch. Jesus says, if you knew me, you would know the Father. Question, how could they have spent so much time with Jesus and know so little? Now my question is, Jesus, what is the rush? It's too soon. Check with the Father and ask for an extension. (laughs) You can't go now. Then Jesus reveals the next part of his plan. He's going to leave and return to the Father, but he has something for them. This something, he tells them four times. Do you think it's important if the night before Jesus' death, the night before he leaves this earth, he has something to say four times? I think that would make my ears perk a little bit and listen. So what was it that he had? Well, it's an interesting word. It was parakletos. It means Holy Spirit, but it's a very specific meaning. It's used in the word five times, and four of those times are that night. Parakletos means a helper or a comforter. Jesus was leaving but he would send a helper or a comforter. Now, because Jesus said this four times, I want to actually have us look at all four of those verses. I'll read them. You're welcome to look or just listen uh, because these are super significant. I don't know if there's any other time in the Bible that Jesus in one night shared something four times. So in John 14, 15 through 17, and I'm using the New King James Version, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, an advocate, a comforter, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, but he will dwell in you. We'll come back to that. That's really important. John 14, 26, Jesus once again, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance what I have said to you. John 15, 26, 
When the Helper comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, since you have been with me since the beginning. There seems to be a theme here, right? John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Four times, all in one night, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's your helper and he's your comforter. And it's your advantage. Let me ask you a question. If I give you a choice right now, which I cannot, to pick Holy Spirit in you or Jesus next to you, what would you pick? That's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, my whole life I thought, I think I'd be picking Jesus. And please understand, it's the Trinity, right? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's God, so I'm not asking you to pick a favorite. But I'm just saying, this is unusual language that Jesus would say, it's actually to your advantage that I go and send the helper. Well, let me tell you why I think he said that. When Jesus came to this earth, he came in a physical body, fully God and fully man. He set physical limitations on himself. He was God. He chose to do this. But what he did is he had a body just like us. And if he was with Peter and John, he couldn't be with Andrew in another place. He could only be in one place at one time. But now, Jesus says something quite startling. He said, the Holy Spirit will be in you, not only with you. So now, the Holy Spirit can be with you, and you, and you, and you, all of you, and it doesn't get diluted at all. You don't have to wait in line. He's perfectly able to be in all of you. Because you see, when Jesus died on the cross and we were born again, we were given a new spirit. We became new creation. And the Holy Spirit actually came to reside in us. Isn't that good news? Are you getting this? It's amazing, isn't it? So I want to go back and just talk about the things that Jesus wanted the disciples to know the night before the crucifixion. And I want you to understand, if you don't know Holy Spirit, if he's been with you, but you really don't understand what he does, this is probably where to begin. This is the first thing that he wants you to know. The Holy Spirit would remain forever. Remember in the Old Testament? The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, it was a season of visitation, but he did not remain but now he remains. He's not going anywhere. You may not talk to him very often, but he's not going anywhere. He remains. Isn't that comforting? That really is comforting to me. This is the silliest thing, but I don't know why I think about this. I used to think that um, 
a fun memory when, uh, before my husband passed away was we entertained and we'd have a lot of people over and the house would be a big mess when they left. And one of the things that we enjoyed for some crazy reason is after everyone left, we'd do the dishes together. And we were a good team. He'd wash and I'd dry and we would just talk and he would just remain. Everybody else was gone. And for some weird reason, when I think of Holy Spirit, I just kind of get that picture. He's not going anywhere. You know, uh, when I'm all by myself, he's there. It's just such a comforting, wonderful thing to know that he remains. And how about this? He's the spirit of truth. Have you watched the news lately? I don't know the good guys from the bad guys anymore. I really don't. It's a mess. But Holy Spirit tells us that he's the spirit of truth. And beyond that, even in your own personal life, he'll tell you the truth. You can count on him. Do you need the Holy Spirit in your daily life? Yes. Do you listen to him when he says to you things like, I wouldn't say that if I were you. He's telling you the truth. How many in here have heard him say that? You're about to say something. He goes, I wouldn't say that if I were you. But what do you do? You just say it. So we're learning, but he keeps reminding us, right? He's a spirit of truth. Or sometimes he'll tell us to do something. And we're like, I don't know. That's scary. Maybe go talk to someone, tell them about Jesus, whatever it might be. But he's the spirit of truth. You can hear him, and he'll tell you. You can count on him. He's going to tell you the truth. And then it says that he teaches us all things. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is your teacher? I mean, I used to be impressed with Google. But the Holy Spirit resides in me, and there's not a question he doesn't have the answer to. Are you asking him when you read the word? Do you ask Holy Spirit to join you? I do. We sit there and we read together, and I go, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Holy Spirit, explain this to me. He loves it. He's the spirit of truth, and he'll interpret scripture for you. Or have you ever gone to sleep, and you just felt so weary or worried or concerned? It's like you got a big problem, and you don't know what to do. And you wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden, you're just filled with peace. Or you have an answer. That's the Holy Spirit. He works with you. Night and day, he never sleeps, he never slumbers, and your spirit doesn't sleep either. And so he's working with your spirit to bring you that peace. So next time you have a question, go to Holy Spirit. Spend time with him. Another thing he does is he reminds you. Have you had those moments, you're in a conversation with someone, and they need something, and you've got nothing? And all of a sudden, this brilliant thought comes over you. <laughs> and you share it. And that's just what I needed to hear. Good news, bad news, that wasn't you. That was Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and how about a scripture? Has he given you a scripture at just the right moment? You know, this was the most amazing thing happened many years ago when I lived in Peachtree City, Georgia. And it was a very rainy day, and we had a big deck. 
And all of a sudden, I looked out on the deck, pouring rain, and I saw this elderly woman on my deck. And I opened the door. I said, come in. You're getting so wet. Well, she came in, and Bob was home. We had this wonderful conversation with her. It took about two seconds, and she was talking about Jesus, and she was quoting scripture, and it was just magnificent. Well, Bob said, you know what? I'm going to drive you home. I don't want you walking home this weather. I don't know what's going to happen. So Bob and the lady took off, and I'm making dinner. Five minutes later, they're back. And I'm looking at Bob, and he's going, I'm like, okay, something's wrong. What is it? So I go up to him, and I go, what's going on? He goes, she doesn't know where she lives. <laughs> sure enough, this beautiful lady could quote scripture perfectly, but she had dementia. She didn't know where she lived. But God would remind her of his word. Well, it was a fun evening. We actually called the police, and no one had been looking for her yet. So we said, let's have dinner. So we had a wonderful dinner, and eventually the police department called and said, her family's looking for her, so we asked if we could take her home. So we had dinner and took her home, but I'll never forget her, and I'll never forget the lesson that she taught me, that he'll remind me. And the last thing, it says that he will testify about Jesus. He's the one who points to Jesus. Holy Spirit points to Jesus. That's the point. That's what he does. So, if you're trembling with fear when you're going to share your faith with someone, just understand it's the Holy Spirit. He's going to do it. He's going to point to Jesus. You don't have to concern yourself about the results. Jesus continued saying one more thing that I think is interesting, and I'm going to go through this quickly. Jesus shared that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Listen to John 16, 8 through 11. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, and that judgment takes place as the ruler of the godless world is brought to trial and convicted. This scripture has been really misinterpreted. Misinterpreted. <laughs> what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts of sin. But what is that sin? What's the basis of every sin? Not believing in Jesus, right? Even as a believer, when you sin, you're just not believing in Jesus in that area of your life. And how about this? I bet everybody in here has been convicted of sin at some point in time, right? Listen to this part. He convicts us of righteousness. Isn't that good news? Have you ever thought about that? That the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Some of us, <clears throat> we just love our identity as sinners. But the Holy Spirit's like, <clears throat> sorry, if you're a born-again believer, you have a new nature. You may sin, but your nature is not that of a sinner. I want you to look at righteousness because I wrapped my son's righteousness around you. So I encourage some of you people today, 
Get convicted of righteousness. You know, you become what you behold. So look at his righteousness. It's, it's much better than always looking at sin and flaw in your life. And then the third thing is judgment. Who is he judging? Satan is going to trial, and he's being convicted. That's really good news. And then Jesus finished up with saying, guys, that's all you can bear. Well, I guess so. For 11 men, Judas is gone now, who didn't even get that Jesus was leaving, this was a lot, wasn't it? But that's what he told them, all in one night. And then he finished up by saying, but don't worry about it. Holy Spirit's going to guide you in all truth and even tell you things to come. Holy Spirit will reveal the future. Yep, that was a lot. But that's what Jesus taught them in one night. So I guess my next question is, these are a lot of promises. What life looks like with the Holy Spirit. And at this point in time, it was just a promise, right? So let's look and see what happened after the resurrection, after Pentecost, when they actually received the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit was in them, not just with them. Acts 2.14, Peter, he preaches his first sermon. Does his life look a little different than it did before? What happened? 3,000 people were saved. Wow. I'd be happy if one person was saved from my message. That's really good news. That's a big transformation from a guy who was denying Jesus and had a lot of flaws. Because they weren't his words anymore, were they? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's good, right? That was just one night. Beginner's luck, who knows? What about the Holy Spirit and how they affected believers on a daily basis? We're going to read Acts 2, 43 through 47 out of the message. When I read this, it's almost like it was written for me. If I could describe my perfect day, this is my perfect day. I love it. Listen to this. Everyone around was in awe. All of those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's needs were met. They followed the daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praise God. I love the sentence. People in general liked what they saw. Isn't that great? Every day the numbers would grow as God added names to those who were saved. Isn't that beautiful? Let's look at that again. What was happening? There were signs and wonders. That's fun, right? Who doesn't like signs and wonders? Wonderful harmony among all the believers. Sounds like the church today, right? Every person's needs being met. 
A spirit of generosity just came over them. If someone needed someone, something, there was generosity. How about this? Worship together every day. I know that makes some of you very happy. And I like this one. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful. They must have been eating salmon. I just know it. <laughs> I eat salmon every day. I'm a little wacky. As they praised God, and the kingdom was growing by leaps and bounds. It was growing. Isn't that wonderful? So this is what it's supposed to look like? Wow. So, did the early church have it easy? No. They had a lot of growing pains. There were disagreements. You know what their first disagreement was over? As far as I remember, it was circumcision. Of all the things you could choose, circumcision. And Peter and Paul, the big guys, right? They had a couple spats. Things weren't perfect. And as the church grew, you know what happened? All the Gentile pagans were saved. Well, pagans, they act like pagans. And there were big messes. Right, Charlie? So, what did Paul do? I love the way he addresses this. He doesn't shut it down. He doesn't say, there's been a misuse, so it's over. He deals with it relationally. I think these are all amazing keys for how we should be dealing things with things right now. You know what their uh, biggest mess was? Interesting, spiritual gifts. You know what spiritual gifts? Prophecy and tongues. Not much has changed, right? Did you know that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to immature believers? That's why they're called gifts. Immature believers do immature things. So Paul handled it. I'm going to show you how he handled it. The one thing I want you to understand is I'm not selling anything. I'm not selling tongues. I'm not selling prophecy. I'm just showing you what happened in the early church and what Paul had to say about that. So don't concern yourself and don't think this is orchard policy. Just sharing some scripture, just because I think it's pretty interesting. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 19, but I'm not going to read it all. I just want you to listen to what Paul said to this early church. The problem in this church, one of the problems is they were exuberant about the gifts. One of the gifts they were exuberant about was tongues. So if an unbeliever would walk into a church, someone just might come up to them and say, and the person would be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> they had no idea how to handle this, and Paul understood order. And this was a gift in this particular church that was being used. This is what he says. Follow the way of love. Isn't that good advice? Isn't that like the number one solution? We hear that all the time here, right? The Shema. Follow the way of love. Love God, love people. 
eagerly desire the gifts. You know what that word is, eagerly desire? Lust, lust after. Lust after the gifts of the Spirit. They're important, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. Now listen to this. This is kind of an interesting conclusion. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Somebody isn't there to interpret a word. Why would you give it? So he's explaining to us a little bit about these gifts. I'm going to tell you a few other things, and then I'm just going to talk to you about them for a second so you'll understand. And I promise you, you walk out of here without any fear. Going down to about verse 13, Paul's conclusion. So what shall I do? Now at this point, he's talking about his personal language with the Holy Spirit. This isn't in a church, we already know. In a church, you're not to speak in tongues without an interpreter. But this is what he says, this is what he's going to do. I will pray with my spirit. That's tongues. But I also pray with understanding. That's words. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with understanding. You know what he's telling them? He loves it all. He loves it all. Everything Holy Spirit gave him, he loves it all. And then he says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Is that a pretty good explanation? I want to talk for a moment about prophecy and tongues and the difference. Uh, the gift of prophecy. I think we have this Old Testament idea of prophecy, but the spiritual gift of prophecy is a very simple gift it means that you speak to someone else a word of strengthening, encouragement, or comfort. Does anybody in this room not want a word of strengthening, encouraging, or comfort? This is not a frightening thing. It's a good thing. A prophetic culture is a good thing when you are talking about the spiritual gift of prophecy. We're all ready for this. We should be doing this. We should be saying, Holy Spirit, give me something. Give me something for that person. What do you want them to know right now? And it's not going to be, tell Charlie I like the color of his shirt. But it might be, when I look at Charlie, I see such a big heart. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of a shift there. And what's the purpose? Edification, building up. What about the gift of tongues? When you speak in a tongue, Paul says, you're speaking to God. You're not edifying the body. You're edifying yourself. 
Is there anything wrong with edifying yourself? No. Have you ever heard the expression strengthening yourself in the Lord? That's what happens when we have this language with the Holy Spirit. It strengthens us in the Lord. Have you ever been with a really needy person? I mean, they just suck the life right out of you. Tell them about this. The Holy Spirit never gets sick of you. He's never bored. He can handle it. So, this is something that you might consider. Another thing that the word says is, when you speak words, your mind is fruitful, right? When you speak with this other language, this heavenly language, your mind is unfruitful. Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, that, that's not good. It would do a lot of you good to have an unfruitful mind for a few hours a day. We are so busy to just turn that off and let our mind be unfruitful and just let our spirit handle things for a little while. That could be a really good thing. So listen to Paul's conclusion. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. Isn't that beautiful? I tell you that not so much to talk you into anything, but to just show you the things that sometimes in our life we have been so afraid of, the things that Satan is trying to uh, use to divide the church, if we would just take the time to relationally talk about it. And I'll tell you another thing. There's a lot of spiritual gifts, right? We talked about the two that can really tear churches apart or divide us. Here's the, here's the thing about spiritual gifts. If you have the gift of generosity, chances are you're not going to leave this building and as you're walking by the offering box, your wallet's not going to fly out of your pocket and dollar bills come out and land at the offering box, right? You have the gift, but you are the one who partners with the Spirit to use that gift. The same is true with these other gifts. So you don't have to be concerned or afraid of it. You just might want to spend some time praying to the Holy Spirit and saying, are your gifts good? Are they for today? Are they for me? You talk to him because he'll tell you. We have a Father who loves us so much and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. Do you realize what a gift you have? But there's also an enemy, and his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. His tactics are exactly the same as they were in the garden. He's subtle, he's deceptive. He asks you questions like, can you really trust the Holy Spirit? Or have you noticed the Holy Spirit is a little bit weird? If he can get you to fixate on one thing, maybe a misuse, and shut things down, that's a big win for him. But the good news is, people are waking up to who they are. You know, God said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you? Wow, that's a big deal. If we start figuring out who we are, 
things are going to shift quickly in this country. I've been to some events lately, and I've seen that. About a month ago, I went to something called Contend America. It was, it was 200 young people from the ages of about 16 to 25. They were there to pray and fast for our country for five days. It was about probably 15 hours a day. Things are shifting, and I participate, and I pray that you'll participate in that. So what about you? Here's the question of the day. If you're a born-again believer, you have the Spirit. But does the Spirit have you? You have the Spirit. But does the Spirit have you? When you look at your life, do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Is that what you see? Or are you judgmental, unhappy, agitated, unkind, rude, and controlled by your flesh? I want to tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit is your friend. And he's offering you good gifts. He wants to give it all to you. Are there rooms in your heart that he can't go into? Are there places he can't touch are you just a little bit afraid of the advantage, the gift of the Holy Spirit? I want you to ask him this morning as we prepare for communion, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are there lies that I have believed about you? Ask him. See what he says. Will you receive all that the Holy Spirit wants to give you this morning? Or are you a little fearful? He understands that too. But I ask this morning, as you take communion, and as you think about the body and blood, the symbols of communion, and of what Jesus came to give you, and when you think about the advantage of the Holy Spirit, talk to him. Tell him that you are sorry for shutting him out of your life and ask him to come in. Now, some of you might have questions about this. This could be new to you. You can be in your seat saying, I don't like this. It's okay. It's okay. You talk to Holy Spirit. And if you have questions, I, I'm guessing there'll be some prayer people up front. You can talk to me. And just ask questions or get with me afterward. But I just pray that today you will start realizing the wonderful advantage that you have of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.